as I said, I want to talk to you just a little bit about what I see going on in, in the body and what might be going on inside of you. Um, obviously, we've heard a lot about the bride, right? We've heard through other teachers that God is um, ministering to the bride, he's raising up the bride, he's revealing the bride in us, all those things. And those are awesome things. We've also heard that we're in a, gl in a global Esther moment. Have y'all, anybody heard about, heard that? Like we're in a global movement at the moment that is related to the book of Esther. So what I kind of want to do today is just share a few things, uh, thoughts about that, about where maybe the Lord is taking you and launching you and multiplying you. And then I'm going to do that through a couple of stories and then the story of a tree. So two women's stories in a tree. <laughs> That's the title if you want to write that down. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm going to start by just saying that the body of Christ, if, if, you, if you haven't felt it or know it, uh, I think it's because we're ignoring it. But how many of us know or feel that there's some great shift coming? That we're in a shift, right? Things are not going the way they used to go. As leaders, this is really perplexing to us. So my husband and I had a discussion. He's a pastor, as I told you. And I said, honey, how are you or we going to make the shift? What is the shift? How are we going to navigate through the shift, loving on our people through the shift? Because honestly, if we're honest... We didn't do the last wake-up call very good, did we? Right? And leaders, as leaders, we were in the same boat y'all were. We didn't know what to do. And that's evident. And the bride of Christ and the body of Christ did not step into their assignment during the pandemic. We were, we were, we were absent, if we're honest. And as a leader, I've had to repent of that and, rep and I repent to others. We, we were absent. And I can remember just honestly saying to my husband when everything broke out, I'm, I'm going out there. I'm going to go pray for people. I'm going to the hospitals. That's what we're supposed to do. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? The Great, great Commission, heal the sick. And, you know, some of the people on his board said, well, if Rebecca does that, then you can't come to church because you'll have to be quarantined because she's been out with other people and she might be exposed. So I'm kind of black and white, obviously you can tell, and I, I didn't know how to deal with that. In my heart, I just felt like, wow, what do we do? And then the other part of me always says, when I'm about to launch out with the Lord or do something, that's not wise. Is that wisdom? And did you know that fear masks itself the most as wisdom and comfort? It's really a nasty little demon. So, but I, I, I gave in to that. I wanted to be wise. I didn't want to look foolish. And so we, we did the online thing. I mean, praise God, somehow... We didn't die as a body. We survived. I, I thought for sure the ministry that I had started uh, then, it was eight years ago, seven years ago, would die. Um, it didn't. And then I began to see all around the body of Christ what was happening. And there were those that were coming alive. And there were those that were dying. And I look at the time now as a gift to understand what's on the horizon, what our response can be, and how are we going to sustain ourselves through what Jesus says, pandemics. And we don't want to hear that. The body of Christ in America, we don't want to hear that. We want things to go back to normal. But normal doesn't exist anymore. And what God is raising up, ladies, as the bride, what he's doing in you, 
is he, he is raising up this mighty army of Esther's. And you don't get a ticket out just because you're not in leadership. Because really, leaders are supposed to equip you to go do it. That's biblical. We're not supposed to be doing the ministry. We're, you are. And we're to equip you to go do that. And so COVID and everything, the pandemic, all that we went through, even though it stripped us of a lot of hope, God in the middle of it, like Esther, is beginning to craft and form this most beautiful diamond, this most beautiful fragrant oil called the Bride of Christ. And the revival that's coming, we have, we're being prepared for that. And Esther, you know the story of, how many of you know the story of Esther? I don't want to go back and read that whole story. Okay, yay, most of us. Because we like her dress, and we like the crown, we like to sit on a throne. <laughs> we like all that, right? But Esther wasn't queen when she was asked to be queen. Esther became queen through the fire as an orphan. Because that's where queens are made. They're made through the fire, and they're made through abandonment, and they're made through loss, and they're made through brutal times. And for me, I came to the point just a few months ago that I said, God, I am so grateful to be living in these dark times. And I kind of, I was like, whoa, what did I just say? I'm like, no. <laughs> I am so grateful because here's the deal. When people lived on the earth in Jesus' time, they got to see him in the flesh and all of that. And everybody says, oh, I wish I would have lived in the time of Jesus. But here's the thing. We can't, we do not know yet who we shall be until he appears because what he is making, ladies, out of us is not an Esther, as much as I love her, not a Deborah. He's making this woman, this, this, this army called the bride. And this is the bride's revival. That's what's coming, the bride's revival. And the reason that there's, she doesn't have a name yet. I realized the other day, wow. Like, this is a brand new, living, breathing, we are going to emerge seriously as the bride. And the bride who does mighty exploits alongside her husband. We are the wife of the lamb. And the greatest crisis has been in for women has been an identity crisis because we do not know who we are and we do not know what we're capable of we settle so low but this brand new person this bride we're going to be an organism not an organization we're going to be a united front and it, it's going to take every single one of us because the bride is not one person. It's not a leader. It's not a great preacher. It's not an apostle. It's not a prophet. The bride is made up of all of us. And finally, <laughs> finally, it's not about a personality. Finally. Or a gifting. Because you have the same Jesus in you that I have in me. Or, or prophet Joseph down the street, you have the same Holy Spirit in you, and you have the same DNA of Christ. Christ is in you, the hope of glory, every one of us. And what's coming up is only for the fame of his name. It's not for anybody, and it's not about anybody. I know this because I went to Asbury this year. Anybody hear about the Asbury revival? Okay, the Asbury revival... Um, broke out in February, and it was at a university, and there were um, some kids, students, okay, Gen, uh, Gen, 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 Gen Z, I guess, yeah, uh, that generation, and 
Um, they were, there's, there, it's in Wilmore, Kentucky. Wilmore? Yeah. And uh, so I heard about this revival going on, broke out in February. It started in chapel, in one of their chapels. It's a small school. And so I was intrigued by that, and I felt drawn. I was like, I want to go see that. I want to be part of that. I've waited my whole life to see revival. And so I stepped back and had a heart check about it, wisdom, and said, well, I don't want to go for the wrong reasons, so I'm going to wait a few days on that. So um, the crazy thing is, is like so many women in the Bible that just poured out their extravagant love on Jesus, did they, did they wait for, like, is there, it's like in the body of Christ, like, you don't have to go to a revival. You can have a revival right where you are. So I say to them, well, then why aren't you? <laughs> you know, if you can, why aren't you then? So uh, in one way, I felt impulsive, and in the other way, I felt really excited. So I called a friend of mine who can travel at the drop of a hat, and we said, okay, well, we'll pray about it and wait a few days. And she called me back. She said, I'm going. Are you coming? <laughs> so um, we went. And we had to, we didn't stay, and we were, didn't want to be part of the clog descending down on Wilmore, Kentucky, because by the time we got there on the second week, um, it was a sea of people. Uh, there for all different reasons, all different motives. And we had to park 30 minutes away in a neighborhood. And all the neighborhoods were just full of cars. I'll never forget, it was on a Sunday we got there. And people were out mowing their lawns and stuff, just looking at all this, like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know? Like, nor it was so bizarre, normal life going on, and then all this mass of people going uh, to this revival. So we walk up the hill, and all I could see was this line from the chapel up on the hill that just wrapped and wrapped and wrapped. And by that time, they were just letting students in and college students into the main chapel where the revival broke out. So we decided to go next door, or it's right across the lawn, to the seminary chapel. And it was piped in. And the Lord told me on the way up the hill, I want you to observe everything. Just everything. So I had all these questions like, well, what did they do about bathrooms? <laughs> that was my first thing. Oh, there's outhouses. Okay, got it. All right, check that off. <laughs> what about security? What do they do about that? So I started asking all these questions, observing everything, and I got so excited because I realized the Lord was letting me see how, how, how revival can be navigated. And the people behind the scenes at this place were incredible, incredible. Did you go? Anybody? No? Yeah. Okay. You just know you watched. You did? Yeah, you went. Awesome. Okay, so you were there a little bit earlier, yeah. So um, for me, this is how this is how this whole thing went down. So uh, I didn't get a whole lot the first day. I thought it was pretty awesome, and I was sitting in this pew, and you know, by that time they have a few little prayer teams, like people would pray for you. But the thing that I noticed is that the whole entire body was in unity. And they, they, their theology was probably a little bit different than mine or than someone else's concerning the Holy Spirit or concerning end times, whatever it may be. But everyone was kind to each other. There was so much. The leaders were so kind. And there was no security in our building. You could, I walked past the president's office. I walked past the finance department. They were open. They were working. There wasn't bodyguards. No, everyone that got up, did no one said their name or title. We were all just the body. And I learned a facet about Jesus that day, that weekend, that I will never forget, and that is how kind he is. And how willing and loving.
rivalry he is to his bride. Because honestly, we've been whipping each other. And, and if you read comments on social media and you hear evangelists and all of that, and they say what revival is, and they say it's all about repentance, repent of your sin, get out of your you know stuff, uh, get right, get disciplined, you know, behaviorally get better. That was not there. That wasn't there because Jesus, I could see him walking. I think it was Lorraine that prayed about Jesus walking through the table. I saw him earlier walking through the lampstands. Remember the lampstands? And he was just cried and prayed. And he did that to those students. He just touched them on the head. He was so kind. He knew exactly how to speak to that generation. Because most of the deliverances I saw and experienced were inner. Suicide, depression, anxiety plagues the generations under us. And the enemy is out to destroy us with performance-based acceptance. And we're working so hard for Jesus but there's not a lot of fruit coming out. And that rocked my world. It, it really did. Now, I would say I, when I first became a believer, I got healed through the message of the bride and bridegroom. That's how God healed me because I didn't come from a Christian home. And we were Episcopalian and went, we were priesters. We went on Christmas and Easter. And uh, so I, I didn't know anything about Jesus, you know, but on being on, on the pew and mom saying, shut up, shut up, shut up. That's all I knew about church. And, oh, they would have donuts after, and they would all smoke. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> eat a donut. So that's all I really remember about church. I didn't, so I didn't, I didn't have a lot of knowledge, and I, and, and I was raised by a single mother, and I didn't have a good relationship with my dad, so I had a lot of healing to go through, and God did it through the Song of Solomon, and, and that's my book. That's, that's my healing journey right there, and so um, I, I just say that to just say that the identity of the bride is just so vital right now, and we're going to see her rise up. She's coming. It's a movement. It is. And uh, so anyway, after the uh, after that first day, the second day of the revival, um, I looked at my friend and I just said, hey, this was about, I mean, the first day we were there, maybe like 10 hours, just sit, you know, people are going, oh, 45 minutes of worship, that is too long. You know, we were just, that's all it was. It was student-led worship, a guitar. There were not even words on the screen. I mean, it was just so simple. Everything was simple, not complicated. A few testimonies thrown in here and there. But what so I found really fascinating is that the sermon that sparked this revival or the, or the coming to the Lord of the kids was all about works. If you listen to the sermon, he put up on the screen like all these laws and rules, and he, and he asked the students, how does that make you feel and some of them said tired and some of them said really anxious because we've multiplied in them the idea that achievements are the most important thing that gold stars are the most important thing that they can you know like my son who's a he's on the border of millennial and I finally figured this out it's why he's got like both elements a millennial and Gen Z, he says, we were told we could do anything, but we weren't told how much work it took and how much it would cost. So they had these unreal expectations of meeting something, some kind of criteria, but yet they couldn't get there. So the term or sentence, I'm not enough, is prevalent. I'm not enough is prevalent in that, and it's the tool of the enemy that is trying to destroy them. So the second day, I looked at my friend and I said, wow, something's changed. Like, I can breathe. I can breathe. She looked at me and she said, oh, my gosh, I can breathe too. Like this big something just lifted off, just lifted. 
And I came away, ladies, from that place, from that revival, uh, changed, but not like, it wasn't like a charismatic, like, woo, I felt the spirit of the Lord and all of that, you know, that I'm used to. It was, it was this simple, quiet surgery, and it was beauty on display. And Jesus was beautiful, beautiful. He's not a taskmaster. And, it, and, I, and I just changed. I, d- I just didn't want to even, you know, I was like, why do, you know, all those things go through your mind. Just why do we make things so complicated in church? Why do we have all these hoops to jump through? Why do we do that? Why don't we just come and say, Jesus, you're welcome, and then let him come and just celebrate him. You know, we have to have ten ways for him to get in here and get over there and get in our church and then, you know, we've used up all this time, and then there's no time for him to come. And I can just tell you he's going to come where he's really welcomed. He will. He will come. And um, after that, as many of you know, um, we went through a really intense experience with our third grandchild. And I want to thank all of you. I know you prayed. And I know some of you from Facebook. I know some of you from Destiny. I know Chris and Jody got the word out. And I know you prayed. And that has been another journey, um, which I'll conclude with that in just a second. So three years ago, my mother died. And she died during COVID. And she didn't die of COVID. She had a heart attack in the middle of the night, and she was living with my sister. And um, by the time we got to the hospital, they wouldn't let us in to see her. And uh, um, my mom and I were thick as thieves, and sometimes we had been in the past. (laughs) So we were really close. I know a lot of people don't have a close relationship with their mom, and that's okay. I did. I was I was blessed. I didn't have a good relationship with my dad, however, so I can relate to you on that on that on that end. But when my mom passed away, I was super ticked at God. You know, I, I and I had decided early on, I'm gonna grieve, just I'm gonna lean into it and what however ugly it gets, I'm just gonna do it. Because I wanna be healthy on the other side. And the church doesn't give us much guidance on grieving and brokenness and a lot of people you know would come to me and say oh but aren't you so she's in heaven are you so glad she's dancing with angels and I was like I'm no I'm not at that point no I'm not glad about that I'm glad for her but I'm really not glad for me because it felt think about it that's the person you've been with for your whole life from conception so I was I felt like God was disrespectful my family and to my mother because she gave her entire life to her kids she's an amazing grandmother amazing woman taught me so much was beautiful inside and out um so i i went through this season i was super i was ticked at god you know and how he did it and people would tell these wonderful singing they're there are people you know people who died to heaven and i was like that is awesome god you are so unfair and so anyway, I went through this time, and, the, and what saved me was Luke, Luke chapter 6 and 7 about Mary of Bethany. And I, and I started getting out of bed every morning, which I do to this day, and I started at the feet of Jesus every morning. And I just touched his feet every single morning. And I've missed a few mornings, and the mornings that I miss, it's a completely different day. Because what I realize is that this army that God is raising up are extravagant worshipers, and they're willing to pour out everything. Because this is an all-or-nothing season. I am so sorry to tell you that. This is not about college. This is not about your career. This is not about, in fact, this isn't about you. (laughs) 
the thing that is happening to you or that happened to you is not even about you. That thing that happened to you or is happening to you is about the kingdom. And it's about a king. And the sooner we realize that, the less painful this is all going to be. Because just like Mary poured out everything, in fact, the tears that Mary shed, it's crazy, but they have found excavations where they found these little tear jars that hang around the neck of women who are single or grieving. And so what they believed that the Bible, when it was translated, didn't include that when Mary poured out those tears, those tears were kept for women who their husbands were in battle and were coming back for them. Those tears were kept for single women that they would give to their fiancé, give to the one they were marrying when they got married as a, as a token that says, my life has been sorrow and I give this to you and now I've found happiness. And so Mary poured out her tear jar, all of it, and the anointing oil, all of it, which was her inheritance on Jesus because at that moment, Mary knew who Jesus was. He was her bridegroom. But also at that moment, Mary knew who she was. She knew he was all, all, her all provider. She knew he was going to be her everything. She knew he would take care of her. And he was worthy and beautiful and enough. And so was she. Because she now knew that she was the reflection of him. The Father's gift to Jesus is you. That's the, you're the gift. So how, how, how do we respond to that gift? You know, I think we teach in the church, go serve. Do this, do that. You know, there's a lot of leaders all over just, just trying to get people to help us with do our work. You know, we got a lot of work and a lot of things get done on Sunday to pull this thing off. And I'm not talking about genuine from the heart service because I go into all the world at the moment. Well, part of the world. <laughs> so I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is from that message. Are we serving and performing from the tomb of the past or from the womb of the future? Are we going to be satisfied with what God has been doing and done? Or are we going to follow him and let him form us and let us form him in the womb of what's ahead? Because there's a birthing coming. There is. And you can feel it and see it all over um, <clears throat> Esther went through 12 months of preparation and I think sometimes we look at that like a spa day <laughs> you know a mani-pedi and, and, but really the 12 months of preparation for Esther before she became queen, queen and presented to the king was not fun uh to be anointed with myrrh was all about to be sanitized. The girls had to be disease-free to go to the king. That's all he cared about was that they were clean, not going to give him a disease. Because you know he was going to sleep with all of them, right? So they had to be sterilized. They were uh, scrubbed with steel wool all over to exfoliate their skin but also so that myrrh would penetrate. The next six months, it says cosmetics and da-da-da, all that. Well, all these girls, you know, are taken. They are stolen. Esther had learned how to live. She, she, was, she, lived, she was being raised by a cousin, not even her cousin's parents. So there had been something really devastating going on in her life. And she learned how to lock her heart and become independent, self-reliant, and self-protective. All things that the body of Christ, we've struggled with. 
as we've gone through this hard time. But my challenge is to us today is that, um, like Esther, who was formed through the suffering, the good news, the great news is, ladies, (laughs) you're not suffering in vain. It is for a beautiful purpose. It's for, um, it's for the world to see. It's, it's like this thing I heard the other day. The mountain you're being asked to move is so others can see how it's done. You're facing your mountain, or you will, not for you. It's not for us, because we are the bride corporately. Corporately, we're the bride. And if you want a free pass, you know, to not jump in and be part of the bride, it's not going to be pretty for, for those who don't. It's going to be really hard because it's going to be hard anyway. Who can say it's hard anyway with the Holy Spirit? It's still hard. <laughs> I mean, right? It's still hard, but it's not works. So... In order for what is coming for us to be sustainable in that as the body, you're going to have to go in and be drawn in. Jesus said, come after me, let us run together. Come to me first. Song of Solomon, the um, shepherd girl says to him, Draw me in and let us go into your chamber. The chamber is a place of conception, right? It's a place of intimacy. If you're not daily in that place because you're so busy for God or you're so busy for your family, we're going to have to get super ferocious about guarding that. Because you're not going to have anything to give. There's two kinds of wells in the earth. There's deep wells that take a lot of digging. And there's cisterns. You know what cisterns do? They just go around to, they they just pop up wherever there's rain. People put them up to catch rain. And that's what we're kind of doing. We're kind of running around the body of Christ just trying to catch rain. Going to conferences, going to whatever, and it's all good. But if we're not digging ourselves, I can't dig your well for you. You have to dig your own well. There's a really awesome, um, oh gosh. Well, let me, I'm going to tell you the Bronx story and then I'm going to close with this other little thing. But um, um, so uh, my kids got pregnant unexpectedly. They had a hard time getting pregnant in the past took a lot of prayer and believing and standing. I believe in miracles, by the way. And so um, the third, ba- they, they, they've gone through three years of brutal, brutal things. It's one of those things you look at and you go, this cannot be just regular life. There's got to be something going on here. Like regular life, they just had a lot of things. They went through a controlling spiritual pro- you know, abuse situation. My, my son is 34. He's on staff. And they got called to Denver, um, which was, was awesome. My son almost died of COVID at one point. Uh, and he's a bodybuilder. So, you know, like the healthiest out of all of us. Um, and then they went to Denver, and they're on staff now at the eighth largest church in America. Never heard of it before. I'd never heard of it before. It's called Flatirons. They birthed a college ministry, and they got pregnant with their third child. And my, my daughter-in-law is, is gifted m- with mercy. Her name is Nicole, and she's one of my best friends. I mean, uh, you know, I told Benjamin, honey, you mess up, I'm ditching you, and I'm going with the girl. <laughs> so she, we're really good friends, and she processes a lot with me, and uh, she, I think she feels safe, which is really a gift. So I have Beckham, who is six and he's like a shepherd and then I have Collins the two-year-old who is me on steroids she's uh 
they call me Minnie, like Minnie Mouse. They call me Minnie. And she just screams. She doesn't know. She says, Minnie! <laughs> she's always screaming for me in the car. But she's fierce. She's an alpha generation. They all are. She's fierce. Does anybody believe and see? Do you see this generation of fierce ones on the horizon? Oh, that is so for a reason. That is so for a reason. And so the enemy's after them to devour them. And they got pregnant. And I was like, bad timing, bad timing. You know, my daughter-in-law's depressed from moving. She left her sister. They're starting this new job. Uh, you know, all this stuff. Oh, my gosh. I was like, oh, my gosh, how are they going to do it? And um, they bought a house. I was like, bad decision. <laughs> no, 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 you know, but mm. <laughs> that's the stage I'm in. So uh, none of my business. <laughs> so, uh, but to pray, I just pray. Anyway, they got pregnant and about 20 weeks into the pregnancy. I don't know if you've heard about the story, but they discovered that Bronx was missing things in his brain. Sorry, his name is Bronx. I thought you'd tell you. Yeah, I did tell you that. So I was also like, that is a strange name, son. Why on earth? You know, I always just wanted to call someone Bronx, one of my kids. Oh, okay, okay. All right, I love it, love it. <laughs> so uh, 20 weeks in, they discover he's missing things. Benjamin calls me one day. I'm at home, and he said, Mom... I don't know if I can do this. They say he could, he's going to probably be in a wheelchair at the least, probably be fed through tubes his whole life. I don't think I can do it. I know Nicole can't do it. And you know what? For a brief second, I sort of understood, oh, it's so embarrassing to say that. It's so hard to say that. But like when you're faced with that kind of a thing, for a brief second, I thought, I get it why people abort as much as I hate abortion the spirit of abortion I was like wow that's a solution scary scary to be on that edge of that cliff so um, with my daughter-in-law there was never a moment of hesitation about terminating but every time they went to the doctor in Denver, Colorado, they said, would you like to terminate? They can't say our suggestion is you terminate, but they give you this horrific, he's not going to have fingers from the knuckles down, his kidneys will be, you know, he's going to need dialysis, all kinds of things. He's this, he's that. So he was missing this component in his brain. It's called the corpus callosum. Callosum, however you say it. And it's a component in the middle of your brain that helps you to think from right to left brain. It connects. It's a nerve bundle. There's like a billion nerves in there. Like, yeah, more people than in the United States. So there's all these nerve bundles in there. It's covered by this membrane. And that membrane was missing, which clued them into the other thing is missing. So I just told Benjamin, Benjamin... All I know to do is to declare him healed by the blood of Jesus and to stand on the word of God. I don't, I do not have any other answers. I don't know what to do, but to do that. And uh, there was one day where I caved because I went on the internet, of course. And I, I asked the Lord if I could do it, and he said yes. And then two hours in, he said, okay. That's enough. And I caved for like, you know. So this it was a ride. I'm just going to be honest. I wasn't like, yay, I'm getting my miracle. All that. It was suffering. Watching them suffer. Every time she went to the doctor. Not The first time she went to hear all the good news, her five-year-old was with her, and the guy just vomited out everything in front of him. You know, like, wow. So... Beckham said to his mom, Mom, it's okay. Jesus can fix anything. 
what he said. So we lived on the faith of this little five-year-old. And um, anyway, long story short, right in that hallway the whole rest of the time. And Nicole said to me one day, she said, you know, normally when you're pregnant, you just can't wait to birth. Well, you don't want to birth, do the birthing part once you've been through it. But after that, <laughs> you just can't wait to hold them. And, you know, you're so excited. She said, all I want to do is see if he's got fingers. You know, and I realized this weight of this mother carrying something that she believed to be disfigured. And so uh, she allowed me to come in at the birth. And, um, but I was going to tell you before that one day, there was something that happened in my heart. And, and I want to say it's, it's okay to not know. It's okay to not even believe some days that Jesus will come through on his promises. It's okay to talk to God about that. It's okay to be honest and broken and transparent, right? But if you bring all that to him, instead of working it out in your mind, like, can you imagine the temptation we all wanted to do about looking up all the organizations they would need and all the equipment and how do we get in touch with, I mean, could have been a nightmare and it would have taken our focus. All that future tripping would have taken our focus on off of the gaze of Jesus and believing. And women, we future trip because we are planners. We plan it all out. We want it to be perfect, right? Perfectionism. And, and so that day after that, I just had the spirit of God rose up in me and it and this is what I said no matter how long it takes if it takes the rest of my life or however long we have with him what God calls beautiful is different than what man calls beautiful and he will be beautiful to us and to Jesus and no matter how long it takes I'm going to stand every day and believe for every miracle along the way, no matter what we get. And all of a sudden, I heard this lock in my heart. I mean, like I physically heard it. And my heart locked down on the promises of God. And I'm not going to say I didn't waver. I did, but I knew I heard it. I knew I heard the lock. And... When Bronx was born, there were nine doctors and nurses in the room. He was at a NICU hospital. Uh, the head of the NICU was there, neonatal unit, everything. And I was watching him be born. I'd never gotten to see that before. I was like, wow. And they looked at him. They watched him for a few minutes, took a couple, and then they left. I'm like, well, that is weird. And they watched his responses. He had fingers, fingers. He nursed right away. That's another big milestone, latched on. Um, <clears throat> when the next day later, they came to do the ultrasound on his brain. He kept crushing. His name means breaker. Breaker. That's what Bronx means. And I was like, I love that name now. So moms and grandmas, we do not know it all. Just letting you know. <laughs> so he, he broke through the kidney test. He broke through everything, every test he had. They did, they did echocardiogram on his heart twice. Said he was missing a chamber in his heart. It was there. Um, so they did the ultrasound that day on his brain, and the pediatrician came in, and she was so excited because she was the pediatrician of the whole hospital and not their regular one. And uh, she came in and she said, um, I have the results. We've been hearing code blue going off too. You know what that is in a hospital? Code blue means somebody's passing away. And we've been hearing that for several days because that's the kind of unit we were in. There wasn't a lot of happy news. 
So she said, everything that they told you previously about his condition is true. There was no cor corpus callosum, there was no membrane, none of that, she said. But I'm here today to tell you, we cannot explain it, but it is there and it is fully formed. It's present and fully formed, for real. So we have, we have pictures. And they, she, they were so stunned. Benjamin fell to the floor in a heap, just weeping. And uh, she's, they were asking her all kinds of questions. Because, you know, it takes your brain to catch up to a miracle. <laughs> the way we're wired. And uh, so she said, let me give you a copy of the report. <laughs> so I have a copy. I took a picture. And I mean, it's there in all its glory. And it's a creative, it was a creative miracle. I mean, even in the ultrasound, you can see the membrane missing. And you can see the, that there's, there's not that component. It's not there. But it's there. So he, they keep coming back to them with more stuff. Like they can't let go of that there's something wrong with this baby. So they're still like, oh, there's the eyes, there's the whatever, you know, all this stuff. So anyway, there's, we're still walking through that just a bit. But I'm, I'm on lockdown, y'all. I'm on lockdown. And I'm also on lockdown about the bride because we're diagnosing her in a lot of ways. You know, she's missing things. She's missing this and that. She's not enough. She has to perform. All those bars we're trying to get her to, to meet expectations. And all Jesus really wants is a lover. That's all he wants. We've got to go in that chamber before we go out. It's so important to dwell in that place with him. And, and it, I'm not saying it's easy. I mean, I've got a busy life too. So do you but you have to. And if you don't want to, too bad. You have to. You just have to do it. If it's awkward to you, you know, to love on Jesus and have time with him, I'm not talking about reading your Bible and checking off your list or your prayer list. That's not, no. That's important. That's part of my quiet time. But no, it's, it's my tears at the feet of Jesus and giving him all my oil. And letting him dig this deep well that is yuck, painful, you know, being turned inside out and, and allowing and doing all of that first. Um, one of the things he's worked in me, and then I'm going to tell you the really quick story about the tree. One of the things he's done in me is it's been really painful, is uh, I didn't realize it, how, how much um, I slander people, maybe unintentionally. But, you know, in the, in the Talmud or in, in Jewish writings, there's a, a statement called Lashon Hara, and it means the evil tongue. So Jerry and I have been talking about this because it's okay to have someone you're safe with to process right? Because we get hurt by people. We need to understand what's going on in us. But it's a whole different thing when we slander their character. So Lashon Hara is that. It's even if it's true, because Jerry the other day was saying, well, it's the truth. I said, I know. It's still slander because it, it defames someone's character. And that person, you know, you're they'll never look at the other person the same again. It's like a woman, she came to a rabbi, and she said, oh, I've committed Lashon Harai, I need forgiveness, and, you know, let me take, can I please take that, I take it all back. And he said, step to the window with me. And he had a pillow full of these down feathers. And there was a fan at the window, and he took a knife, and he slit that open, and he put it in front of the fan, and they watched as the feathers went all over the city. And he said, okay. Go take them back. I know, it hurt me too. <laughs> but really, 
really out of our hurt and not understanding. We say things about one another, and, and we're doing it to Jesus because we are Jesus in the earth. You are. You are. You are the glove of him in the earth. It's what he's chosen to use and to do and to work through is you. So I'm going to end with this. It's the story of the redwood tree, and I really loved it because it reminded me kind of a little bit <clears throat> of the scripture. I love the scripture. Well, got to put on my glasses. That was way too little. Um, that we sing about strength. It says, uh, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Woo, yeah, I love it. They go from strength to strength. The end of that scripture is before what? Each of them appear in Zion. They set their hearts on lockdown. They're going to be with Jesus on this pilgrimage, and they're going to shine his glory because they're going to appear before him in Zion. Because you are Jesus' hope of glory in the earth. And all of us, no matter what our sphere of influence, no matter how many people are around us, maybe there's no one around us, we can all pray. And prayer is the thing that's going to move that mountain that other people are watching. And uh, I didn't used to be an intercessor or prayer warrior. I would just have friends who did it for me. <laughs> and I've turned into one. And uh, it's because it's different. It's about union with Jesus. That's what intercession is and getting his heart. So you probably know this, a lot of you. Um, in California, there's a redwood tree, right? And there's uh, uh, these trees um, can be up to 2,500 pounds. And the circumference can be about 250 feet. There's one called General Sherman, and that's the oldest tree. And the, the cool thing about redwoods is they grow massively tall, really, really tall. But the best thing about them, which you may know, I did not know, is that their roots intertwine with each other. And so underneath the ground, this root system looks like crowns joined together. And the roots communicate with one another for nourishment, for strength. These trees withstand earthquakes, hurricanes, floods, everything. They don't have one single deep root. They're all intertwined together. They're an army. They're an army of royalty, of crowns. And when we lock arms like that, uh, and we listen to the, some of the generals, some of the older generation to help guide us through, uh, and we, um, we, don't, we don't get all our discipling on Instagram, you know, like, we feel like our Bible time is on the Instagram. And we like, we like uh, influencers because they identify with us. We don't need people, that many people in our lives to identify with because our identity is not in them. Our identity is in the redwood tree. We have to wrap our roots around one another. When we do that, this revival, this flood coming, it's, it's sustainable. And we are going to go all over the globe, and we're going to stand the strength of, what, of what's coming. But you know what, ladies? It's exciting. It's brutal. I get it. I'm there with you in the mire. But he's carving us and crafting us into this most beautiful, fierce bride. Fierce. And the generations under us need us because... You know, they may very, very well, we may see the coming of Jesus, but they will. I can tell by their personality. So be kind. You know, be, be uh, um, listen. Listen. Don't just preach. Tell them what to do. You know what's right. 
listen to him. I've learned the most about the Lord through my listening to a wayward son. It wasn't easy. But we are, we're the lampstands, and we are the redwoods. And the older trees are the ones who reach out the farthest. So you're not done. I'm not done. Because it has nothing to do with our age or what we're going through. Because remember, what you're going through really has nothing to do with you. <laughs> right? So if you are... Um, if you're willing, uh, you know, to um, just surrender, maybe your heart. Um, God, God is doing miracles on the earth. I, I'm seeing them ref, left and right. Um, but here's the cool thing: I'm not seeing them just from me praying over somebody. I'm seeing that, but I'm seeing people's revival I'm seeing that when we do it together then we have a Bronx healing it, it takes the bride to stand with the bride and so if you're willing let's just say Lord you know we're all we're here we want to join we want to be part of that movement um, we want to we want to take some, down some giants coming against our kids and the, and the generations under us. I have a rock here from the Elam Valley. This, I take this with me when I speak because sometimes the enemy lies to me. And I have to remember I've got a rock. It's where David slew Goliath. That's, that's where this rock is from. I've got the date on it. And um, so, you know, you've got to pick up your rocks. And you, you've got to sing... You've got to sing. You've got to sing like the bird, you know, the famous bird, the thorn bird, sings its most beautiful song above all the other birds when it impales itself on a thorn. It sings the song of its life through pain. And that's what Jesus hears from you is that song. So let's stand if you are willing. You don't have to, but if you would like to be a vessel, maybe, an ester to be poured out, to wrap your roots around each other, uh, to accept one another, not slander each other. If you're willing to be a vessel for miracles, um, he'll do it. He, he'll do it through you. Through this whole thing that's happened with our grandson, I personally have gathered, I don't do it ever alone anymore. Like I, I'll pray for somebody, but I don't do it alone. I've gathered intercessors to pray over different babies. It seems like that's where, for me, like where God is, I don't know where it's anointed at the moment. Um, and I've seen real live, documented, like ours, miracles through, through women not being able to get pregnant through women with womb issues, through women giving that are, are pregnant, that the baby has issues, through new ba babies being born. I've already got like, I think, seven documented miracles for that and then other things as well, not just in regards to that generation. But, you know, let's be, let's be a, an army for them. And... Uh, they're looking for mothers and fathers, even though they don't want to do what we say. They, they are. They need to be loved. doesn't mean you need to give them permission to be wrong, but they, they need to be loved because they need to see a kind Jesus. So let's volunteer. Anybody want to volunteer? Lord, Jesus, the beauty of you is so stunning. You take our breath away. We see you as our bridegroom king. We want to rule and reign with you. We know you're not done with us yet. We know there's more molding and more um, filing and sanding and everything that 
that has to go into polishing a stone. And Lord, there's glory that you want to come out of us and through the breaking is the only way it can come out because people are watching. Hope has evaporated from the earth. Lord, fill us with that. Anoint one for the nations, God. Show us the trees that we are supposed to bond with, to wrap our roots around one another. And Lord, we want to be used by you for miracles. We want that desperately. Signs and wonders, not for us, but for the fame of your name, Lord. We resign to live from the tomb, and we volunteer to be the one for you that you're calling us to be in Yeshua's mighty name. Amen. Love y'all.